Hi, and welcome to TJK Talks. On March 31st, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in National Collegiate Athletic Association v. Austin, a case that will determine whether certain NCAA rules that limit compensation to student-athletes by colleges and universities violate antitrust laws. With no current decision from the court, today we'll discuss our predictions and opinions on the case. Exactly. Let's break it down. Several Division I basketball players filed a lawsuit against the NCAA, arguing that its restrictions on, quote, non-cash education-related benefits, end quote, aka not paying student-athletes, violated antitrust law under the Sherman Act. The district court sided with the athletes, holding that the NCAA must allow for certain types of academic benefits, such as, quote, computers, science equipment, musical instruments, and other tangible items not included in the cost of attendance calculation, but nonetheless related to the pursuit of academic studies, end quote. However, the district court held that the NCAA may still limit cash or cash equivalent awards for academic purposes. So far, we've noticed that the 90-minute oral argument in Alston seemed to favor the players. Several justices notes, noted the exploitative character of the NCAA and expressed skepticism about the justifications offered by the NCAA's lawyer, Seth Waxman, who served as Solicitor General in the Clinton administration. Waxman argument, argued that the uniqueness of the NCAA product, amateurism, permits the breaking of antitrust laws. Thus, rules intended to maintain the unique features of amateurism should be upheld. The justices definitely seem to be in favor of the players. Justice Elena Kagan, for example, pointed out that these schools that are naturally competitors as to athletes have all gotten together in an organization that is undisputed market power, and they use that power to fix athletic salaries at extremely low levels, far lower than what the market would set if it were allowed to operate. If you think about it that way, NCAA actions are per se unlawful. The Sherman Antitrust Act, in essence, prohibited anti-competitive agreements within industries, as well as preventing attempts at monopolizing markets. I think that the problem lies in the fact that the Sherman Antitrust Act is applied on a more case-by-case basis, which makes it difficult to sometimes identify direct violations. The Act states that it will be a comprehensive charter of economic liberty aimed at preserving free and unfettered competition as the rule of trade. Yet, I think it can be safe to assume that the question as to whether or not collegiate athletes should be considered an industry makes this case far from cut and dry. That's a good point. According to Vox, quote, in the 2015-2016 academic year, Division I basketball and Division I-A football generated $4.3 billion in revenue, end quote. These sports generate astronomical amounts of money. Thus, I could see the NCAA being labeled as an industry. One of the most interesting questions came from Justice Thomas. While the NCAA argued for a distinction between professional and amateur athletes, Thomas asked if colleges feel concerned about college coaches' monetary compensation when maintaining a distinction between them and their professional counterparts. Yeah, I think Justice Thomas has an interesting point. College athletes receive less than 20% of their sports' revenue in the form of scholarships. So where does the remaining 80% of that revenue go? Well, in part to coaches like Alabama's Nick Saban and Kentucky's John Calipari, who each make around $10 million a year. The funny thing is, in NCAA v. law, when coaches' salaries were limited, they fought to have them unregulated by the NCAA. While analyzing NCAA v. law and NCAA v. Alston, we can see many parallels, not so much in the specifics of the two, Mm -hmm. but in the principles embodied within them. Both cases include the idea of deregulating collegiate athletics. And as we have mentioned before, we believe, it's, we believe it is an industry in and of itself. 
Similarly, the plaintiffs in NCWV law cited antitrust violations as a focal point of their argument. So, many of the justices voiced skepticism about the NCAA's claims of amateurism. Talia, I'm curious, what did the judges have to say about the impact of education-related benefits on college sports overall? Well, the justices did express some concern that their solution to the problem could change the nature of amateur athletics at its core. Justice Sotomayor weighed in, asking, how do we know that we're not just destroying the game as it exists? She felt it important to consider Mr. Waxman's claim that these education-related payments can become extravagant and consequently be viewed as to the public as pay-for-play. Now, a major issue within the case is the debate as to whether or not the price of education is sufficient compensation for NCAA athletes. According to the NCAA's website, maintaining amateurism is crucial to preserving an academic environment in which acquiring a quality education is the first priority. They further go on to make the point that if players were to get paid, the incentive to focus on their studies substantially decreases. Former Vice President of the NCAA, Oliver Luck, said that the opportunity to do an autograph signing or an endorsement would distract campus athletes from what's really important, which is the educational component. The organization went on to say that additional compensation would discredit the integrity of the college experience. NCAA President Mark Emmert said that if an athlete were being paid and it significantly changed their lifestyle, they probably would not be living in the residence hall. They probably would not be eating in the cafeteria. They probably would not be as active a member or participant in the life of a campus. Exactly. These claims from the NCAA don't sit right with me. According to the Washington Post, a 2015 survey found that athletes in the Pac-12 conference spent an average of 50 hours per week on their sports and were often too exhausted to study effectively. Moreover, a regional director of the National Labor Relations Board ruled that Northwestern University football players qualified as school employees under federal labor law because they spent 40 to 50 hours a week on their sport during the season and up to 25 hours a week during the spring semester, compared to just 20 hours a week on academics. Yeah, you're exactly right. Kane Coulter, the team's previous quarterback, testified that he was steered away from strenuous classes of chemistry and even had to abandon a pre-med major because his sport was too consuming. You can't ever reach your academic potential with the, with the time demands, he said. You have to sacrifice, and we're not allowed to sacrifice football. I think that Coulter's point supports the idea that eliminated amateurism wouldn't necessarily make NCAA athletes more distracted. It simply allows them to be compensated for the sacrifice, sacrifices that they are already forced to make in terms of their time available to dedicate to their education. Justice Breyer brought up, brought up the point that this essence of amateur sports has brought joy to people, and we don't want to screw that up. But does increased compensation really screw up the demand for college athletics? Not really. The product is still going to be 18 to 22 year old kids playing for an audience of consumers. So even if these athletes are receiving more money from endorsements, the essence of amateurism that the NCAA claims to want to maintain would still be present. Now this all makes sense. But what exactly does this all have to do with the Constitution? Why is the Supreme Court hearing it? Well, cases are usually granted cert when they raise a significant federal or constitutional question. This case is appealed from a lower circuit court decision and centers around the federal Sherman Antitrust Act, which Jared explained earlier. Because this is a federal law that would affect interstate commerce, and because the NCAA is a national organization that involves interstate commerce, this case essentially rests on the Commerce Clause, which allows the Supreme Court to have such a stake in the decision. The economic ramifications of paying or limiting college athletes affects the economy over multiple states. So we've broken down the case and discussed our thoughts. But I'm wondering how you guys would decide in a case like this. 
Knowing sports well, I see both sides of the case. But after hearing the orals, I can't help but side with the athletes here. The NCAA's evidence is not compelling. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, stated, Collegiate student-athletes put everything on the line, their physical health, future career prospects, and years of their lives to compete. College reap, colleges reap billions from these student-athletes' sacrifices and successes, but in the same breath block them from earning a single dollar. That's a bankrupt model. At the very least, I would urge the NCAA to look into NIL legislation. NIL stands for Name, Image, and Likeliness, and it refers to an individual's ability to capitalize on their publicity and be compensated through third-party endorsements. This legislation varies from state to state, but the aspect in common is that collegiate athletes profit in some way. ESPN estimates that individual student-athletes could earn anywhere from $1,000 to $1 million off of Name and Likeliness rights. These athletes generate millions for colleges, so they deserve a cut. While NIL is applied state by state, the NCAA should attempt to instigate it on a national level. Like the Supreme Court, let's come to a majority opinion. The actions of the NCAA are unlawful because they employ a method of horizontal integration, consolidate their position among natural competitors to create an organization with extreme market power. The NCAA is fixing athletes', athletes salaries at low levels kept in place by a lack of competition. Based on the evidence presented, it appears that amateurism, which at its core is a necessity of the NCAA product, is not hampered by increased pay to athletes. And thus, there's no necessity for an exception to antitrust legislation. That's exactly right. But we're anxious for the decision that is predicted to be made later this month. Yes, it will be interesting to see how this will impact collegiate athletics. If the court leans the same way as us, the next March Madness may look a little different. For sure. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us on TJK Talks. We'll see you next week.